You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Berceau, President of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. Cigarette smoking is the leading preventable cause of illness and premature death in the U.S., claiming over 400 lives yearly. Joining me today is Dr. Douglas Joranby, Director of Clinical Services for the University of Wisconsin Center for Tobacco Research and Intervention, and we're going to talk about smoking cessation strategies for the 21st century. Dr. Joranby, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, I'd like to start with a obvious question. Why should we actually be treating tobacco use? Well, as you said, it's the leading preventable cause of, of illness and premature death. We we know that for people that smoke, it's it's robbing them of somewhere close to 14 years of their lives. Another way to think about it that maybe brings the point home more starkly is if you look at people who use cigarettes as a product, you know, using them as directed according to the the package insert, if you will, that's going to kill between a third and a half of the people who use those cigarettes. That's a pretty shocking rate. That is high. I mean, the 14-year number is interesting. Does that number still apply to people, let's say, if they quit later in life, or does that number kind of get telescoped? Well, we certainly know from Surgeon General's reports that there are benefits to people quitting even later in life, you know, in their 60s and beyond. Obviously, if if you wait that long before you quit, you're not going to see the same changes in life expectancy, although people's quality of life goes up even when they they quit later in life, and I think that's an important factor to, to think about. But certainly, whatever we can do to help patients stop smoking earlier in that trajectory, earlier in their smoking career, the bigger the benefits they're going to get later on. Dr. Jornby, what do we know in the year 2008 about how smoking actually contributes to cardiovascular disease and by stopping smoking, how that benefits the arterial tree? It's certainly a big benefit, and I know one of the things that is very salient in the folks that we work with in our smoking cessation clinic is, in terms of the cardiovascular effects, people quitting realize those more quickly, almost really than any other form of improvement in their health that they get from smoking. Within a year, their risk of sudden cardiac death is cut in half. Within two to three years, the risk goes down to, to almost like that if they'd never smoked. If you look at that in terms of risk of lung cancer, they've got to be quit for 10 to 15 years. On the more micro level, there's a number of effects that are, are going on. When people are smoking, there's good evidence that their low-density and very low-density lipoprotein concentrations are up. Their high-density lipoproteins go down. They've got more C-reactive protein. And certainly, the act of smoking is, is constricting their blood vessels in an acute way so that their blood pressure goes up. And because they're getting carbon monoxide every time they inhale on a cigarette, they're, they're taking away oxygen at the same time nicotine is, is forcing the heart to beat faster, to work harder. Well, you brought up nicotine, and a lot of people feel that nicotine is the enemy, and I, I try and say that it's really not nicotine. It's all the other crap that's in the cigarette, and the nicotine obviously is what helps to addict you, but that will not really kill you. Absolutely. And I mean, that's really the paradox at the heart of things is, is that it is nicotine that keeps people coming back for the next dose and the next dose. 
But outside of some very narrow exceptions, you know, women who are pregnant or, or maybe somebody who's immediately post-MI, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not what causes the health problems that we've known now for decades are related to smoking. And in fact, it sort of led us down one of the main treatment pathways, which was people as, as far back as the 70s were thinking, is there a way that we can give people nicotine without the tar, without the carcinogens, without the carbon monoxide that come from smoking tobacco and, and use that as a way to get them disentangled from this entirely? So in your smoking cessation center, what's your experience been with the nicotine replacement therapies, i.e. The, the nasal spray, the inhaler, the gum? I mean, do you have people that stay on nicotine forever and you're okay with that? Well, we, we do have a small number of people, and I think that's borne out when you look at, at national use patterns. There are a small number of people that seem to be on nicotine maintenance therapy. It's more common with the, the ad-lib therapies. You mentioned the nasal spray and the inhaler, as well as the gum and the lozenge. Those are things that a small number of people will use, sometimes in real limited amounts over a long period. You don't see that as much with the patch, I think partly because it's delivering a steady state of nicotine, and, and that's just not as rewarding for folks. Do you have a favorite that you have seen work better than others? We use all of the FDA-approved therapies, sometimes in combination as well. If you look at the most current state-of-the-art, which is the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guideline that was just released in May of 2008, that's the, the third edition of that, that found that, that all of the FDA-approved therapies were effective relative to placebo. It particularly found that if you took, just say, the nicotine patch as, as sort of our fundamental treatment, if you will, the one that's used most commonly, the one that we have the most research evidence about, and compared everything to that, the two that stood out were combination therapies, combinations of nicotine replacement like the patch plus nicotine gum, and a relatively new non-nicotine treatment, varenicline. And both of those were superior in meta-analyses to the patch as a standard reference treatment. You mentioned the fancy name for Chantix. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't pronounce it, but tell me about your experience with that, and has it been remarkably different than the other available treatments or just another tool in our chest? Well, it's certainly a tool, and I think it's one for people to consider very seriously. As you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, sometimes you have to fight that educational battle with patients who think nicotine is the enemy, and sometimes it's it's just simpler to go with a non-nicotine option rather than than rehash that ground. You know, certainly in terms of the data that have been published in the peer-reviewed literature so far, varenicin looks very positive. The odds ratios are, are three times or more better than placebo. Now, a lot of those have been from studies that were done pre-approval. And we know from past history, pretty much every smoking cessation treatment looks best at that point because those phase two and phase three studies are generally done with pretty healthy smokers. They're people who are really motivated. They're, they're given in sort of optimal settings. And once it gets out in the real world, it, it starts to go down some. But with varenicline, there's something fairly unique about the molecule that is unlike anything else we have in our clinical bag of tricks. And that is it not only 
is an agonist in the sense of reduces the withdrawal symptoms. It makes quitting less unpleasant for people. But the unique thing is at the same time it has antagonist properties. So it's blocking some of the rewarding, the enjoyable effects of nicotine when people are smoking. And that seems to be something that helps folks who are unable to quit with maybe the pre-existing therapies and be able to stay quit. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and my guest today is Dr. Douglas Joranby, Director of Clinical Services for the University of Wisconsin Center for Tobacco Research and Intervention. And we're talking about different smoking cessation strategies for the 21st century. You mentioned varenicline and kind of sounds like the methadone of sorts for getting people off of their nicotine. How long can you keep someone on that therapy? The FDA approved it normally for for 12 weeks of use after people's quit date. There's one study out there in the literature that looked at extending treatment out to six months and saw some benefit to that. So that the FDA offers prescribers the option of, of going out to six months. I know there are people that are interested in whether maybe even longer might be beneficial, but that's still pretty much up in the air. And in your experience in the post-marketing of that medicine, have you seen any of the adverse effects that I see in my email every day? We have not seen a lot of that. It's something that, you know, we, we educate folks about ahead of time, and we're fairly aggressive in terms of our follow-up, really encourage people after their quit date. We have an open-ended support group uh, as well as reaching out by phone to folks, which is, is good practice. We know that that kind of contact, regardless of what medicine people are using, helps them stay quit. But I, I think particularly with varenicline, that's a great way of checking up on folks to make sure that they're not experiencing any of those side effects that the FDA has released some warnings on post-approval. And talking about the follow-up with your patients, have you found that it's just important to touch base with them anyway, be it through internet, phone calls, something to kind of just keep on them? Absolutely. Yeah, that was one thing that came through very clearly in the public health service guideline meta-analysis was there's a very strong dose-response relationship in terms of follow-up. The, the more of it that we do, the more often we contact people, the more time we spend with them, the more likely it is that they're going to quit. And it, it really doesn't seem to make a huge difference how you do that. You know, traditionally, it, it has been kind of face-to-face either individual follow-up in the clinic or with support groups. Every state in the union now has access to telephone-based quit lines, uh, which are a great way of giving people more follow-up, you know, more counseling and support without having your clinic schedule explode in your face. And I don't know, you may get more email from patients than I do, <laughs> but for a lot of folks, that's a very convenient way to, to stay in touch as well. And how do you feel about non-FDA-approved methods such as laser therapy or hypnosis? I mean, are are you okay with anything that works, or do you feel it really has to be approved? I think it goes back to what works. And the three that have historically been very attractive to people, as you said, you know, hypnosis, this newer so-called laser treatment, which is really just a variation on traditional acupuncture. And there have been a small number of studies that have looked at those. If if you look at the Cochrane meta-analyses and the, the Public Health Service guidelines pretty much echoed their conclusions that there's not 
evidence that hypnosis or traditional acupuncture or based on a very small number of studies, the so-called laser treatment or laser acupuncture is actually effective in helping people quit. But I understand for a lot of folks why they're very attractive because all of them seem to offer the opportunity for people to quit without really wanting to. You know, hypnosis is probably the best example because it's like the hypnotist puts the whammy on you and you stop smoking whether you want to or not. Unfortunately for most people, it's, it's a case of not, that generally they're, they're lighting up as they're walking away from the visit. Well, on that note, Douglas Jornby, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.